Are you for real? Hey, you better be home by 10. Are you for real? Are you for real? Are you for real? Are you for real? That's a, that's a penetrating question, isn't it? It's a question that kind of gets um, through the facade, the masks, and goes right to the depths of our heart. It's not a group question. Only you and I can answer that question, are you for real? That question demands that we're honest. That question demands that we're transparent. That question takes a little self-assessment, doesn't it? A little self-interrogation, if we want to even get stronger, to determine in our heart of hearts, regardless of what other people think, we know what's going on. Are we for real? I can promise you, if you're a teenager, your friends are asking that question. They may not ask it out loud, but they're asking the question, are you for real? You say you are a Christian, you say you're a believer, but when I look at your Instagram post and when I see what you're doing in social media and when I watch you across the room in the hallways, are you for real? I can promise you the person you're dating is asking that question. They want to know that question for sure. As they invest in relationship, are you for real? Spouses ask that question, right? And I can promise you, if you got kids, they're asking that question several times a day. Are you for real? So for my birthday uh, this year, one of our kids uh, got us a gift uh, a, a food tour of the Strip District. And Lori and I went on. Anyone ever been on a food tour of the Strip District? You got to do it. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. We started at the coffee shop, which is always the best place to start, right? And then we went right next door to the bakery. And they uh, told us how they made all this stuff from scratch and, and how many pounds of whatever they, they put in it. It was all authentic. It was all real stuff. We went to a lot of the establishments uh, in the pits on, the, on the Strip. Some of them started back in uh, 1909. A great-grandfather came over, started the store, and then the, the next generation, the next generation. We talked to one, I think, third generation. She was telling us about the store and everything going on there. Very, very cool. And we got to sample a bunch of stuff. So we went into one store, and they showed us a bunch of different things they had. And then they took us back to the meat area, and, 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 the, and the guy, the butcher named John, uh, started telling us about prosciutto, right? Did I say that right, you Italians in the room? Prosciutto. And, and so he showed us this first slab. It just came in a big slab. And, and he said, you cut this really thin. And so uh, he, he cut it for us and he showed it to us. And he said, this stuff costs $19 a pound. $19 a pound. And so he ate it and it, it was good, really good. Ham, dried cure ham, right? It's got to be good. So we eat it. Then he said, here's something better. This comes, the first one came from uh, Canada. This comes from Italy. And you see, he showed us, you can see the different quality here. And he said, you cut this a little thicker. And so he cut off uh, a piece of that 
prosciutto. And even me, who grew up thinking ham somehow formed in a can or something, right? <laughs> or a guy named Oscar Mayer invented it. Even me, even I, that's good stuff. He said, that stuff from Italy, that costs $30 a pound. But then he said, in an almost worshipful tone, you want to taste some really good stuff? I was in the back saying like a little kid, yeah, yeah. And so he said, he, he brought out this, he said, this is from Spain. The animals are fed with a certain grain. I expected him to say, and graze gently on the plain as well, but he didn't say that. <clears throat> and he said, man, this is good stuff. You cut it just a little thicker. We have some samples uh, in the back. Yeah. I'm kidding. You go on your own food tour. But uh, it was great stuff, and he said, this cost $50 a pound. This, then he said, this is the most expensive stuff I have in my store. I said, Lord, let's sell our house and buy a slab of that stuff. <laughs> this is the most expensive thing I have in my store. Hey, believers, you know what? You are the most expensive thing God has in his store. He loves you so much. He sent his son to die for you on the cross. Yeah, there are 200 billion galaxies out there, and there's more stars in the sky than there are grains of sand on the earth. But when the psalmist thought of that, the psalmist said, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, he said, that's pretty cool. But you know what I'm amazed at? What is man that you're mindful of him? And what is the son of man? What are my kids that you are, that you take care of him? You love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. Believers, you're the most expensive thing in God's universe. Paul says in Acts, he obtained you with his blood, with his death. Hebrews says, by means of his own blood, he secured you an eternal redemption. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, not once but twice, you were bought with a price. Which brings us back to that question, right? If God did all that for us, are you for real? We're going to look uh, this year at 1 Corinthians. We're going to break it up a little bit. We'll have Christmas series and Easter series and some different things in there. But we're going to look through this book and we're going to drill down on it. And we're going to look at kind of an overview today. But the thing that I want to start with are these two words. These two words that not only summarize 1 Corinthians, but summarize really our lives. And the first word is this, the word proclamation. 
proclamation. There it is. Proclamation. Proclamation is what I believe. What I am going to say is true. What I'm going to stake my life up on. It is my doctrine. Uh, it is my belief system. It's my operating system on my life. It is the proclamation of what I say. And we've been talking about that over the last weeks. We have said, do we believe that God exists? And we said, absolutely, we believe He exists. We said, is the Bible true? And we said, absolutely, it is true. We stake our life on it. It's His love letter to us. We said, can you know God, this, this God who loves us so much? And we said, yeah, only through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we will trust in Him, not as a, one, a good way or one of many ways, but, but as the only way to have a relationship. And we said... Life sometimes stinks, doesn't it? There's pain and there's suffering. And we can't always figure it out. But somehow this loving God is working at all. Sometimes molding us, sometimes it feels like chiseling us. He's working it all out to make us the person he needs us to be. And we said... One of these days we're going to close our eyes in death and you know what? Depending on what you do here, there's a real heaven and a real earth. A real heaven and a real earth and a real hell. A real heaven and a real hell. That is our proclamation. Here's the cool thing. In 250 AD, early Christians, early church fathers said, we got to get that, we got to summarize that. People are not going to memorize the whole Bible. In fact, in that day it wasn't even written yet we got to summarize what we believe to be true. And so they put together what was called the Apostles' Creed. It was not written by the apostles, but about 150 years after the last apostle, John, died, they put it together and said, based on what the apostles have written and based upon the scriptures that we have, this is what we believe. This is a summary of what we've been talking about over the last six weeks. If you're familiar with the Apostles' Creed, what I'm going to do, I'm going to read it, I'm going to go through it, and then we're going to stand and say it together. It's kind of a summary of what we've been through in our Relevant Faith series. Here is what we believe. Summarize. Again, it's not Scripture, so I've changed a couple words to make them more relevant for today. But here is this belief system. Here is our proclamation. I believe... In God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, what did he do? He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the universal Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. That's quite a statement, isn't it? We stand and say it with me. You ready? We've been singing. We've been letting God know from the bottom of our heart how much we love Him. Again, this is not Scripture. It's a summation of Scripture and what we've been talking about. So I'm going to ask you, and you say it from the bottom of your heart, Christians, what is it? that you believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the universal Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for doing that. Teach it to your kids. It's in your program. Teach it to your children. A summation of the Christian faith. That's our proclamation, right? So that's one word that describes 1 Corinthians, a proclamation. Here's the other word, and I got to tell you, it's harder. Demonstration. Demonstration is this, practicing what we believe. Between those two, proclamation is the easiest. It's easy to stand, right, with a group of believers and say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. It's harder to demonstrate that tomorrow morning at work. It's harder to demonstrate that this afternoon at home. It's harder to demonstrate that every day of our lives. But that's what people are asking, and that's what people are looking for. And that's why they're saying, what are you for real? Are you for real? Because a proclamation without demonstration is what? Empty words. James says, our faith without works is dead. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians, again, a proclamation and a demonstration of what it looks like to live out the Christian life. Paul founded the church in Corinth on his second missionary journey. He stays some time there. He worked with some other people as a tent maker in the city, literally making tents uh, for those in Corinth. And in Corinth, <clears throat> the church became uh, established, and Paul then moved on, and he went to uh, Ephesus, and he wrote this letter from Ephesus, because when he went to Ephesus, there, was a, there were a group of people, they came uh, to Ephesus, and they said, Paul, I know you love the believers in Corinth, I, I know you care for them, and some things are going on. They got the proclamation down, but they're challenged in the demonstration of what they believe. And so 1 Corinthians was written by Paul from Ephesus around 55 AD to address the issues. Now, I'm excited about this study because for many reasons, but one, Corinth was a lot like us here in the greater Pittsburgh area. Corinth was located in, in southern Greece, about 45 uh, miles west of Athens. It was a very, very wealthy city. It was kind of a melting pot for people. There were Jews there. There were Greeks there. There were freedmen from Italy there. And there were a lot, a lot, a lot of businessmen and businesswomen there in Corinth. Reason they were there is Corinth is located on an isthmus. 
And so you've got not just one seaport, that's really good for commerce, but there are two seaports. And so you have seaports on either side, and you got people, you got ships coming from Asia, you got ships coming from Europe, you got ships coming up from Africa. And man, there is all kinds of commerce going on there. In fact, it's said that Corinth was the destination for speakers who would go charge fees to speak to people, to motivate them, to teach them about business, just like our bloggers and and podcasters and speakers today. They were talking about leadership and how you do this thing. Corinth is located on this isthmus, and again, they have all this commerce. They not only loved uh, the business part, but they loved their sports, like Pittsburgh, right? Even when we're 0-3, we still love the Steelers. They loved their sports, and they had the games. They had the Isthmus games that uh, were, they, they were, they were conducted the year before the Olympics. That was in Athens. And they were conducted the year after the Olympics. So every other year, they had the Isthmus games. And so people would come all, from all over the place, and they would be a part of these games. And so here you have Corinth, like, like us, wealthy, educated, businessmen, businesswomen, stuck in Corinth, doing all these things, doing their life, raising their kids, and going to church together. And Paul tells them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses uh, 4 through 9, just what kind of people they are. Again, this, this is like us. I give thanks, he says in chapter 1, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, and in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. Here were people who were educated. Here were people who were well-spoken. Here were businessmen and businesswomen. They could get the job done. They were the movers and the shakers in Corinth. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, not only are you the movers and shakers in speech and knowledge, but check this out, verse 7, so that you are not lacking any gift, spiritual gift. Men, you guys are gifted as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's like us. So here are people who are educated. Here are people who have their act together. Here are people in business, men and women. Here are people doing their thing. Here are people climbing the ladder. Here are people who are spiritually gifted, and they're involved in church. They're doing all these things, and they're like us in another way. They let the culture around them seep into their lives in the church. Instead of becoming counterculture, as every Christian is called to be, they were absorbed by the culture. They allowed things to happen in their lives and in the church that, that caused them to look more like the world than those people bought by the blood of Jesus. So that's our challenge as we go through this book. I'm going to put out four goals. We'll talk about how we'll see if these goals come to be through the year. But four goals, and what I want to do, we're going to be, we're going to be diving deep into the passages of 1 Corinthians, this letter. But what I want to do is just take a flyover And let's look at four goals that I certainly would want us, and I think we want, to accomplish together 
as we study through the book of 1 Corinthians. The first goal is this. It relates to our focus, and we want our focus to be on one person. And who's that? Jesus. Now, that's nothing profound, but we need to be reminded, and we need to get back to it, because the people in Corinth struggle in the same way that we do here. The people in Corinth fell victim to trusting in people rather than Jesus. They, in the church, they had a culture of celebrity. Sound familiar? They followed people instead of Jesus, just like we do. Through books and podcasts and broadcasts, and then it amazing for us if a famous person in some commencement speech mentions anything about their faith, we plaster that on social media as if finally our faith has been validated because a famous person or an athlete trusts in Jesus as well. They fell victim to a celebrity culture. Look at 1 Corinthians, verse verse 11. Paul says, For it's been reported to me, remember he's in Ephesus, and Chloe's people, we don't know who they are, believers, but they were sent to Paul and said, Paul, you got to help us. We're dying here. He said, Chloe's people have reported that there's quarreling among you, my brothers, talking to believers. And he said, here's what I mean by that. One of you says, I follow Paul. And the other one says, Apollos, man, he is a great speaker. I follow Apollos. And then the others were saying, no, you guys got it wrong. I follow Peter, the apostle, Cephas. And then others turned their nose up and with some spiritual pride said, oh, come on, I follow Christ. By the way, when Paul says, I follow Christ in this line, he is not patting them on the back saying, you guys got it right. He puts them in that same line of dividing. He's saying there are some of you who are spiritual snobs and you're causing division in the church. Following people instead of following Jesus will get us into trouble every day of the week. This past year, we have seen many high-profile Christian influencers either fall morally, blow up churches, or walk away from their faith. We have seen people who we trusted and who we put our confidence in, and we read their books, and we went to their conferences, and they blew it up. When we put our trust in people, we will always be disappointed every day. One well-known songwriter recently, back in mid-August, wrote that he was falling from the faith. He didn't believe what he'd been writing about. He didn't believe what he'd been singing about. 
He was walking away. And he made it very public. In response to him, a guy named John Cooper, who is a lead singer for a rock band, Skillet, wrote this. Listen to what Cooper says. Okay, I'm saying it. Because it's too important not to. What is happening in Christianity? More and more of our outspoken leaders and influencers who were once faces of the faith are falling away. And at the same time, they're being very vocal and bold about it. My conclusion for the church, all of us Christians, we must stop making worship leaders, thought leaders, influencers, cool people, or relevant people the most influential people in Christendom. And then he says, and that includes me. We are in a dangerous place when the church is looking for a 20-year-old to a 20-year-old worship singers as the source of truth. Pretty well said, isn't it? Now I would add, we're in a sad place when we're looking at 20-year-old, 40-year-old, 60-year-old, 80-year-old worship leaders, bloggers, podcasters writers as the source of our truth when we go to anyone else for the source of our truth except Jesus and his word we are in trouble we're missing the day by the way that's why I like to read dead authors they can't change their mind Focus on Jesus. Second goal, sexuality. Clarity, purity, satisfaction. The Corinthians love their celebrities. They also love their sex. The same trade that brought a lot of money brought a lot of sleaze. In fact, <clears throat> the name Corinth came to be used as a synonym for sexual perversion, sexual immorality. To Corinthicize meant that you were involved in sexual immorality. Right by Corinth, Corinth, Corinth was built at the base of a hill, and here's a picture, if you guys will just leave this up, a picture of Acro-Corinth. Acro is a hill, it's about 1,900 feet up. And uh, now there's probably a, um, a monastery up there, but in that day there was a temple, pagan temple, and it had uh, prostitutes. And they say that if you were down here, right, and there's the hill, they say that when the ships were coming in or when the games were being played, you could see a line all the way down the hill of temple prostitutes coming to meet the guys in the ships probably didn't make it all the way to the ships because they had a lot of business along the way. You know what Paul said? You guys have allowed perversion from the culture to invade the church. In fact, Paul tells them, you know what? There are things reported that's happening among you that not even the pagans agree with. The pagans are ashamed of that. And it's right in the church. So Paul writes this, if you'll turn to chapter 6, verse 18, applying to all of us. He says, 
flee sexual immorality. Run from it. Don't fondle it. Don't play with it. Flee sexual immorality. And then he says this. This is interesting. Again, we'll dig deep into this, but every other sin a person commits is outside the body. It's still a sin, but it's outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. He brings the sin in right to himself or herself. And then Paul says this, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? The Holy, of the Holy Spirit within you? The Holy Spirit lives in you. Whom you have from God. You're not your own. For you were what? Bought with a price. That's why teens, we don't play around sexually. That's why men and women... Pornography doesn't work. That's why we have to do this thing right. Not like the culture says, but like Scripture says. Because we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Paul says, therefore, glorify God with your body. Glorify God with your body. There is today more confusion on sexuality and sexual identity than ever before. I just read this week in a news feed from Time Magazine that now there's going to be programs this coming year where, uh, if I can remember the word, transmasculine. Now they're going to focus on transmasculine. I had to look it up because the words are changing all the time. Transmasculine means a person who is female but identifies as a male. And they're going to promote that hard to make it seem like the norm. Man, with our t- parents, we've got to be up on this stuff. And we've got to be communicating to our kids, right? Purity, for sure. And then Paul says, look, it's never, it's never, ever, 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 ever right to commit adultery, right? We got that? But some of you guys are throwing gasoline on the fires of temptation. Look at chapter 7, verse 4. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another. If you skip down to the end of verse 5, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Never right, never right to have sex outside of marriage. But if you aren't having sex inside of marriage, you're throwing gasoline on fire. So Paul is saying, The sexuality thing is not just about the newspaper articles. It's in your home. Now, having said all that, and we'll talk about that this year, and no doubt that there are many who struggle with sexual identity. That's just the truth. And no one's here to, to pile on. We're here to help. 
And there are many who struggle with the aspect of purity because our culture says that's where you really get your identity, right? And no doubt that many marriages are struggling. But that's why we go back to that first goal, right? We keep our focus on Jesus. Keep our focus on Him. Because we want to make sure that what we do and how we do it, not just our proclamation, but our demonstration, always is an obedience to Him. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you what? Keep my commandments. You obey me. Focus on Christ, sexuality, clarity, purity, satisfaction. The third, relationships. Relationships. Two words there, engaged and invested. Engaged and invested. A lot of stuff going on in Corinth, and um, one of the issues was that people had these gifts. Paul talks about this in chapter 12, 13, and 14. People had all these gifts. They were extremely gifted, but they were using their gifts to divide. They were using their gifts to say, oh, I have this gift, so I'm superior to you. And Paul says, are you kidding me? And so right between chapter 13 and 14, he puts chapter, sorry, right before chapter 12 and 14, he puts 13, good job, and 13 is the love chapter. He says, any gifts that we have, any things that we're doing, when we're in, when we're in relationship with each other, it's got to be anchored in love. And one of the things that he drives home in chapter 13 and also other chapters, he says, if you're really going to do this thing right, if you're going to do it together, you have to surrender your rights. You have to think of other people better than yourselves. You have to say, I have those rights. I could do those things, but I'm not going to do those things because it would offend someone else. I'm going to use the gifts the way God wants me to use the gifts. There was one big issue in Corinth, and they had all these, they had all these temples and stuff, and so, and so people would offer meat in these uh, to these idols in the temples. Well, the meat was sold at discount in the stores. Some people said, hey, I'm always looking for a good discount on meat, so I'm going to go buy the meat. What are idols anyway? They're not even, they're just stone and, 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 and wood. God's the only God. They're not even a God, so I don't have any problem eating the meat offered to idols. Other people said, are you kidding me? That offends me. Pagans took this and offered them to the idols, and you're going to serve this to me when I come to your house. So there's a big issue going on. So in that, Paul teaches us some critical lessons. When you're a mature believer, when you're a mature believer, you're willing to surrender some rights for those who aren't quite where you are yet. That's even counterculture in the church sometimes, isn't it? It's always amazing to me sometimes. By the way, being a Christian a long time doesn't make you a mature believer. And a lot of times, people who have been a Christian for a long time look down their noses at people who are just getting started. Little baby Christians. Babies make messes, don't they? And baby Christians need cared for and nourished and taught and developed 
And if you're a mature believer, you've been around for a while and you have those experiences and you're walking with God, you've got to be investing in the lives of other believers. God's given you this experience. He's given you these gifts. And you've got to find, I know you don't have the time. I get it. But you've got to find the time to invest in the lives of others. Relationship is all about investment. Relationship is about investment. And parents, you know where this starts? At home. Statistics are showing, research is showing, I won't take time to read this, but today's teen, called Generation Z, is the loneliest generation. And that loneliness is developing more depression than we've ever seen, more anxiety than we've ever seen, and more mental illness than we've ever seen. Researchers are taking that back to 2012 when this thing right here became an appendage to our body, right? And they're saying we are connected, but we are lonely. How many times do you go to a restaurant and you see a family sitting there with their kids and what? They're all on their phone. It doesn't matter if you sit together. It matters that you talk with each other. And when we are, when we are substituting digital conversations for personal ones, when we in our homes are allowing our kids, and by the way, you are the parent, remember? So be the parent. You shut these things off. You do the things you need to do. Because otherwise, we can all be together and all be isolated and all be lonely. Relationship takes investment, doesn't it? It takes time. It takes conversation. And you can't do it when you're checking out the sports scores or reading an article or checking out Facebook or Instagram or whatever else. We've got to make sure we develop real relationships. So when Bob Fredo and I teach parenting classes together, I love what Bob always says, be the parent. You are leading your kids. The time frame is short. Don't wait until tomorrow when you need to do today. Build relationships. Again, we're talking not only in our homes, but here at the church as well. Now, I know most of you read the Bible on your phones, right? I get that. That's not a problem. I even say now sometimes take out your Bible or take out your digital apparatus. But I also know that when I'm doing that, I'm also bombarded by what? Emails and texts. So, be smart enough to know how to shut those things off when you're in God's Word, whether you use it in your daily devotions or whether you use it in church because we don't want to compete with all your email buddies, all right? Or your texting buddies. We want, as we come together, 
to keep our focus on who? Jesus. And we can't do that when everyone in, literally in the world has access to our time. All right, more on that later. Last one, sharing Jesus. And the word there is relevance. Relevance. Sharing Jesus with relevance. We say here at the Bible Chapel, uh, our, our what is to develop followers of Christ. And our why is we want to develop followers of Christ so that those in your life, seekers, find Jesus. The believers grow deeper. And, and, that, and that everybody who comes in our doors, in our lives, experiences care and connection. When we say seekers find Jesus, we don't mean you're to bring someone here so they can find Jesus here. What we mean is we want to develop all of us so that we can share Jesus in a relevant way to those in our lives. We want you to know how to share. We would love every person in Pittsburgh to hear the gospel from a friend, maybe a family member. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. I'm going to read this. It's going to sound a little, going to a little weird at first because Paul says some things that kind of we got to think through. But listen to what he's saying here. Paul is talking here about sharing the gospel with relevance, getting to know people, getting involved in their lives, knowing what's going on with them, knowing what makes them tick. And he says in verse 19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might, what? Win more of them. I will be willing to be a servant. I I don't have to do some of this stuff, but I'll be willing to do it in order to share Christ in a relevant way. To the Jew, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, that I might win some. Then I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. But I did that to win some who are under the law. To the weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. That by all means, I might save some. Now, Paul, what are you saying? That sounds like a chameleon faith, right? I'm going to be all things to all people. I can't be all things to all people. Paul's not saying that. Paul is saying in that passage, I am going to be like the men of Issachar in the Old Testament. I am going to understand the times. I am going to get a grip on culture. I'm not only going to read my Bible, but I'm going to read the newspaper. I'm going to understand what people are going through. In a one-on-one relationship, I'm going to understand what's making a person tick. I am going to invest my life in another person so that When God opens the door, I can say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what has transformed my life. Are you willing to do that? Sharing Jesus with relevance. It takes time, doesn't it? It takes energy. People are messy. People are complex. People got stuff going on. Our kids do as well. But unless we are willing to invest in their lives, unless we are willing to know what's going on, 
unless we are willing to ask the right questions, like Paul's saying to the Jew, I want to know what they're thinking so I can clearly share Jesus. To the person under the law, the pagan, I, I, I want to clearly understand what they're thinking so I can share Jesus. To the person who's weak, I'm not weak. I'm not going to be a partier to share Jesus with the partiers. He's not saying that. He's saying, but I'm going to, I'm going to humble myself to understand what they're going through because I was right there. The person who is a mature believer ready to share Christ should be the most humble individual on the face of the earth because someone invested in you. Someone shared the gospel with you and by God's grace, he drove it into your heart. Now it's your time to do that to others. This is not something we hoard. This is something we share. We're going to sing a song to close. The worship team is going to come out. As they're coming out, let me. Uh, this is going to be our prayer as we close this morning. And uh, I want to read a few of the lines to you. You came, the, the name of the song is More Like Jesus. That's our prayer. You came to the world you created, trading your crown for a cross. You willingly died. Your innocent life paid the cost. Counting your status as nothing, the king of all kings came to serve, washing my feet, covering me in your blood. Now, this is our prayer. If more of you means less of me, take everything. Don't sing it if you're not, if that's not your prayer. Yes, all of you is all I need. Take everything. Oh, Lord, change me like only you can. Here with my heart in your hands. Father, I pray, make me more like Jesus. Here's my favorite line in this song. The world is dying to know who you are. You've shown us the way to your heart. So I'm the person who gets to share it. So please make me more like Jesus. Worship team will sing and they'll invite us to join in. This is our prayer, right? Summarizing everything we've said, more like Jesus. Our focus has to be on him. You came to the world you created Trading your crown for a cross You willingly died Your innocent life paid the cost Counting your status as nothing The king of all kings came to serve Washing my feet, covering me with your love. If more of you means less of me, take everything. Yes, all of you is all I need. Take everything. my life and my treasure 
There'll be those who will pray for us, would love the opportunity to pray for you before you go, pray with you and for you. Let's pray together. Lord, if more of you means less of me, take everything. The world, our kids, our grandkids, our neighbors, those we work with, those we go to school with, our world is dying to know who you are. And Father, I pray that we are, the, we are privileged to be the ones to demonstrate what an, a real walk with you looks like, a walk of integrity, a walk of authenticity, a walk of genuineness. Lord, let us be that person this week in someone's life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.